Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 155 with Des Trainer of the Founder Podcast. Discover exactly what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur and what's possible through entrepreneurship from the greatest minds in business today. Welcome to the Founder Podcast. Here's your host, Nathan Chan. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm the CEO and host of this show. Now, if you're a new listener, uh, we interview extremely hard to reach founders that are either number one or two in their industry with the company that they've started and they're disrupting a marketplace that they serve. Um, and yeah, we've interviewed some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation on this show. And we also have a magazine and do a ton of other content around entrepreneurship and startups. So if you're a new listener, welcome. If you're an existing listener, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And as always, we have an absolute treat. Uh, this interview is with a really, really smart founder, Irish fellow actually, uh, we don't really interview many people from Ireland. Uh, Des, really transparent, vulnerable guy. I loved talking with him, and he's the founder of a company called Intercom. We're big fans of Intercom. We're a customer, and uh, we use their tool for all sorts of really, really cool things around user onboarding, but then also uh, just speaking to visitors on our website. Um, I'll tell you a really cool story. You might find this interesting. Um, so when we had a sale for one of our new courses that we launched uh, with an instructor, with Greta, um, what we did is we put Intercom on the sales page and a lot of people would come on the sales page and they'd get an automated pop-up. It's because it's like the chat software. And uh, what would happen is, you know, we would say, hey, let us know if you have any questions on automation. And then like a lot of people are asking us all these questions. They're like, you know, um, is there a guarantee on this product? When does it start? Is it a live class? Is it pre-recorded? How does it work? Um, can you tell us more about Greta's businesses? And all of these questions that people were asking, that was like gold feedback. We're like, okay, well, we need to put this into the sales page to communicate exactly what you get. Um, so that's just one of many ways we've used Intercom to grow our business. And it's really interesting to hear uh, Des's thoughts on email messaging because this is a new thing that's happening like if you know we're recording this uh early july 2017 who knows what it's going to be like in a couple of years but you know messaging is becoming a massive thing with you know app messenger chatbots and all these other things so these guys are on the cutting edge and one way they grow their business is through content marketing and uh, they're quite masterful at it. You're going to learn a lot about it. It's a buzzword that's thrown around a lot. And these guys do a very, very good job. And we talk about all sorts of things as well around growing, scaling, hiring, challenges around that, leadership, you name it. So that's it from me. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do make sure 
you take the time to check out any of our other content, just go to founder.com, F-O-U-N-D-R.com. We've got a ton of awesome content to help serve you. And uh, yeah, if you are enjoying these interviews as well, please do take the time to leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. All right, so the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? So I guess this is like a multi-part answer, but um, my immediate job uh, I got by starting a company called Intercom. Um, but maybe a more useful thing to do is maybe dial it back a little bit. So after college, I attempted a PhD, which was focused on teaching people how to teach computer science better. And I got bored with academia after, I guess, two and a half, three years. And I dropped out to become a usability analyst at a consultancy. And I got bored of that after a year. Uh, so I quit that and started a consultancy with Owen, who is the CEO of Intercom now. Uh, one of the things we did while running that consultancy was we built our own side business called Exceptional, which was an error tracker for developers. And over time, uh, we realized it was a much bigger problem uh, we had with our business Exceptional that we cared about a lot more. And that was we were totally out of touch with our customers and it was really, really hard to communicate with them. So we sold Exceptional and started building a solution to that problem, which went on to become Intercom. Gotcha. Now, you guys are everywhere now. Um, I heard about Intercom probably about three years ago. And uh, yeah, you guys are really, really starting to get some massive traction. Like most startups use intercom you see that icon somewhere in the corner whether it's front end or you know using a SaaS product it's everywhere so can you talk to us about the early days you said that uh, exceptional was was sold or you guys acquired um did you like was, was it sold to a big company uh, i'm not, i don't come from a development background so yeah I, i'd love to love to hear a little bit more about that before we move and delve into the intercom and the background and Yes, certainly. So, uh, so what Exceptional did was it let programmers or engineers know when a user had encountered an error in their product, basically. And we had like thousands of customers. It was genuinely a successful piece of work by anyone's standards. It was just sadly the case that neither me nor Owen were particularly passionate about programming errors effectively. And we were quite passionate about this bigger problem, which was why is it so hard to see who our customers are and so hard to talk to them? So we got talking to a lot of different people at a few different events um, about kind of, we had started building uh, Intercom actually inside of Exceptional originally uh, as a way to just send messages to our customers and see who was using our product. But we were just so much more passionate about that challenge. So ultimately, Exceptional went on to become a part of Rackspace, uh, which is a public company. Uh, but it wasn't sold directly, but then we sold it to a person who packaged it with a few other tools and sold it on. And you know what that gave us was basically enough freedom to work on this, at the time, untitled problem, which was uh, basically there are thousands of SaaS or like software businesses out there with like lots and lots of users, and it is so hard to see who is using my product today? And I really mean who there as in what customers. So at the time, like Google Analytics was very popular, but that just told you how many page views you had inside your product, which wasn't really a useful stat from a business point of view. Uh, we really cared about who was using our product and what they were doing. And we loved talking to them about what they were doing with inside the product. So so basically that became the origin of, of Intercom. We started off with this idea of like basically being able to push messages inside your product and 
then uh, we extended it from there to letting users reply, to letting users start conversations, to showing uh, the, the business owner, here's who's active today, here's who has been active this month. And from, from there, like, we kind of came up with this thesis, which is that like all businesses will become internet businesses, but the experience when you move from like bricks and mortar to online is quite impersonal, and it's you know it's it's very like a it's very like ticket based and dear valued customer and all that shit that people hate. So we uh, we really wanted to go against that. So we sort of said our mission is to make internet business personal, and we want to create a world where like, if you use a product a lot or if you frequent a site a lot. Whether it's like a, a Shopify store or whether it's a publication such as Founder, uh, if you go there a lot, you're recognized as a valuable customer. You're understood to be a good person. People won't try and sell you shit you've already bought. They'll, you know, they won't call you a ticket number. They'll just engage with you in conversation. And as for business owners, you'll know who you should engage with in conversations. So our mission really is to try to just personalize a lot of the conversations that businesses and customers have. And that's what we started working on. I think it was like 2011 when we started. You're saying over the last three years, it's it's been uh, it's you know been getting traction. It's fun, like uh, it's it took it took us I guess three years to become that sort of overnight success in some sense. But you know, it's it's been quite a journey. Like we just released a lot of stats about our business re- uh, recently. We now have like seventeen thousand customers. We've one hundred thousand uh, monthly active users. Uh, we're like we're definitely we definitely hit some sort of like you know tipping point where people finally understand we're out there. We, as we said recently, we're at $50 million in revenue at this point, um, if people care about revenue. It has been quite a journey, but it started with a kind of a very a deceptively, uh, a simple sounding but deceptively hard challenge, which was how can we make talking to online businesses easy, simple, personal fun, you know? Mm, I see. So um, it sounds like you have an accent. Uh, I can see you guys are based out of San Fran. Um, where, where are you from? Ireland, Dublin. Gotcha. And same with your co-founder? Yeah, yeah. So Intercom, we started it you know, like on the mean streets of Dublin, if you like. It was like we we're four four Irish founders. And um, and basically, we had our previous company, we had done the whole bootstrap thing. We had like kind of ran it in, you know, in the remote streets of Dublin. I often like to joke, although it's actually just a fact, we, there, was, there was a single street in San Francisco where we had more customers than we did in all of Ireland at the time. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, we figured when we were going through this sort of change that of like of business and change of approach, what's the opposite of running a bootstrap business in the north side of Dublin? Well, let's come to Silicon Valley and raise a million dollars. So that's basically what we did. Gotcha. So now you're fully migrated and you're living in San Fran? I live in both locations. I have uh, have a place in both cities. Uh, we like uh, Of the four founders, our CEO is here in SF. I'm here most of the time in SF. And then we have, so we actually have two offices from the very start. Today we have three offices, but we started with a San Francisco office and a Dublin office. And today we employ maybe, I guess, like 320 people or so across uh, across all three offices. Gotcha. And core team, where's mainly core team focused? How do you manage that? Because we're we're based out of Melbourne, but we're gonna we, we need to set up an office in US uh, next year. And I'm I'm really curious. How do you structure that? Do you structure core team in San Fran, still Dublin? Like, can you t- talk to me about that? Yeah, I think like the big sort of thing we got right. I mean, it's a challenge to split and to risk bifurcating your company and bifurcating your culture. But like the thing we got right was like uh, was like functional divisions uh, where there are geographical divisions. So uh, all of our R and D is in Dublin. The product is basically built and maintained in Dublin. 
Uh, we have a, we have a sales presence and a support presence there now as well. But like, but product is primarily Dublin, and then all of sales, uh, go to market in general, marketing etc. is primarily in San Francisco, and that just kind of reduces the amount of like difficult transatlantic collaboration that otherwise would be necessary. So it kind of empowers the leaders to make local decisions and and move fast effectively without having to wait for another office to wake up before they can progress. Mm, that's interesting. So, you know, for, for like, um, you know, a startup that is, 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 is right. It was founded and you're, you're starting to build the team core team out of, you know, whatever that city and it's not in the U S or it's not in, you know, one of these startup kind of clusters. Um, is that what you always recommend to do if you can? I, so it's hard. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm tempted to say yes, I think it was a great idea, given that it worked out. But like, I can't help but feel it would have been easier. Like even today, I can't help but feel it would be easier if everyone was in the same place and that place happened to be the best place to build software. But reality comes at you fast, you know. Uh, so I think like in our case, it wasn't, you know, for a lot of reasons, it wasn't going to be easy for us to entirely uh, up the entire team and move to San Francisco to start with. So to some degree, it was driven by necessity more than it was any sort of tactical or strategic sort of uh, focus. In general, I, I would advise people to follow that similar line of logic, which is like, for example, for your folks, you'll struggle to move the entire office to San Francisco because visas will, will come at you, the cost of living will be tricky, et cetera. So I think do what you can do to, uh, that optimizes best sort of strategy for you. For us, our CEO was always going to need to be here because we wanted to do like uh, we wanted to raise money, we wanted to raise real venture capital, not not the sort of make you stuff that maybe exists in non-startup hubs. And that meant being here in amongst it, you know, just like actors go to Hollywood and finance people go to Wall Street, like startups come to San Francisco. Mm, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a really good point. So I'm really curious as well around talent. You said products built mainly out of islands. You guys have access to enough programming and and engineering software engineering talent to 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 do that because it's a great product like we're a customer we're a very very big fan you know we do a lot of cool stuff with intercom so yeah that's that's something that i was curious about yeah and like the sort of smart ass answer is like kind of you answered your own question like you know clearly the product if you like the product that much obviously we find the people but uh <laughs> but what i would say is um uh like it's kind of a, a multi-part answer one i'd say is like you probably can't name a single public software company that doesn't have a significant footprint in Dublin. And that means that there are clearly a lot of engineers there. Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Airbnb, Stripe, Slack, you name it. They're all office, all have offices in Dublin. So, so there is talent there. Like, um, other things to benefit us specifically, like uh, university is, is third level education, AKA university is free in Ireland, which means you tend to have a good degree, a good amount of like, of engineers coming off, you know, like leaving universities, looking for good places to work. We are definitely one of the more prominent startups in the city. So we, you know, that kind of works in our favor too. But there's also this big other thing called Europe beside us, which, uh, which we can also draw on. And, and there's definitely a, you know, a large degree of talent there, as long as we can motivate them to move to the beautiful weather and sunshine drenched to Dublin that, uh, that we have to offer. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, that's interesting because yeah, sometimes I like I find it same with Melbourne. Like I think there is good talent here, and and um, you know sometimes people always ask me, you know, can it be, you know, can you build a, a solid team? Is there talent here? And and do you think that you know where if you're not in San Fran, you still can build, and and you can have you know eventually build something of of true worth like you guys are building with Intercom, even if you're not based out of San Fran to start. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I absolutely believe that. And like, and, you know, 
I think like there are so many examples that are of great software companies that didn't originate and maybe in some cases still aren't in San Francisco. Even like looking specifically at Australia, you could argue Atlassian, you could argue Campaign Monitor. Looking around America, you can see like, you know, Qualtrics, SurveyMonkey, MailChimp, none of those are Silicon Valley companies and they're all multi-billion dollar companies, you know. And even like going down a level, like the startup scene, even somewhere as like, uh, somewhere like if I was to say startups in Melbourne, surely at that point it gets challenging, but it actually doesn't. Like we have plenty of customers there and some really, really good product uh, companies coming out of the place. So like, so I 100% believe like, you know, you can start a company anywhere. I do think the challenge you run into is when you want to kind of take it, take the next step. And this is not necessarily product, but like, but specifically on the sales and marketing side, where like where you might struggle in Melbourne is to find somebody who's an expert at product marketing for a SaaS business selling to developers. There is maybe eight of them in Melbourne and they probably already have good jobs. And that's kind of the challenge that you have, whereas there's maybe like 850 of them in San Francisco and at least 10% of them are looking, you know. So I think like in general, I think you can build a product in a lot of places for sure. There's more engineers and designers, et cetera, here. Now, that's kind of a double-edged sword and that you, like, you know, it was... There's a genuine question around like uh, employee tenure in the Valley is different, I think, than it is everywhere else. I think people might like, you know, you're up at, at the very least, you're trying to cling on to your employees harder when there's like every other cool startup is next door also looking for them. That can be a challenge. But I, I, I really feel on the sales and marketing side, that's where the skills haven't kind of distributed evenly. So, to you know, again, a simple example, but like take a company like Campaign Monitor, they, they now have an office over here, you know. It's, I think when you want to take sales to the next level, uh, take marketing to the next level, that's when you might find your, your hometown lacking. Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. The truth is there's never been a better time to build an e-commerce business. And the best part is you don't have to do it alone. And that's where Founder Plus comes in, which I'm really excited to share with you. If you're feeling stuck in your e-commerce business, lacking confidence to move forward, or really worrying about making costly mistakes, Founder Plus is here to support you. You get access to a customized learning pathway with proven frameworks from successful e-commerce founders for fast results, a supportive community, weekly live mentorship, exclusive savings on startup tools and 24-7 real human support. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash founder plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial. All right, now I'll jump back in the show. Mm, interesting. So you guys went through 500 startups, right? We were part of uh, that batch, but we didn't actually go through their program in the traditional sense. We weren't based in their office. We weren't attending their series or anything like that. But yeah, we, we did take their money early on. Yes, got you. And um, are you guys are, are you able to share if you guys are profitable? We have no comment on that. Yep, no, that's cool. That's, that's no stress at all. Um, and tell me about how you guys are fueling growth. Like I, I can see definitely – for sure one of your biggest um you know i guess uh natural uh inhibitors of growth is just when somebody sees that little icon on the bottom right hand corner or wherever it is and you know powered by intercom that that must be massive because i see that everywhere that's how i found out about you guys um but tell me else so talk to me about like other things that you guys are doing to to build you know a, a like your SaaS company and grow it sure 
So what you just referred to there is kind of what we call like uh, powered by intercom, um, or we run on intercom, I think is the current text. And um, that's kind of like our, our, our sort of semi-viral element where basically you will see us everywhere, which is awesome. Um, it's definitely good for, for like extending and, uh, and sort of spreading the brand. And, and it is a lever of growth for us, but a lot of our growth comes um, like in the early days, I guess, you know, when we were starting out, a lot of what we tried to do is just we knew we had a product that we could sell to startups. So all we wanted to do was produce content that startup folk would want to read. And if that content happened to like point them towards, hey, maybe it'd be good if you talk to your users after they log in, then we might just occasionally throw in an occasional screenshot of Intercom or maybe link up our signup page. And that probably got us our first like, quite fair few hundred uh, customers. And to this day, like, you know, we're now, we now have like over 500 posts on our blog and we've kind of, you know, I, for sure, I wrote the first like 90 odd of them, but like today we have a whole content team and, and that's been a significant lever of growth for us as well. And the nice thing about like the, the content marketing, which I hate that phrase because it really isn't what we're doing, but it, it is genuinely a lever of growth. The nice thing about it is it pays off longitudinally. Like there are literally articles I wrote in 2011 that still produce customers for us today. And, uh, and you get that like uh, sort of long term, you know, if we stop publishing today, the raw momentum of the blog coasts really well for us. And it is genuinely a significant part of our, of our, our growth as, as the business has matured, as we raised, you know, $116 million of capital and all that sort of stuff. We've definitely added in some of the more traditional stuff. We do actually advertising in places now and we sponsor the occasional blog or podcast that we particularly like. And so like today I'd say our, our growth is a blend of like of like the the viral stuff you talked about, content marketing, the raw quality of the product helps a lot, like the the sort of effusive way you spoke about it. That generally tends to be how people speak about intercom, which means we've really strong word of mouth, which when you factor in things like Twitter, word of mouth becomes super powerful when it's when it's positively rooted in like the, the strength of the product. But yeah, so I think like that, that's what kicked us off. And then, like, you know, for any of the more traditional stuff, like IE advertising, sponsorship, retargeting, et cetera, we do all that as well. But like it's that's probably our less uh, our less like, you know, hot tip style, style stuff. Yeah, gotcha. So for your inbound stuff, um, are you guys pretty hardcore on SEO? No, uh, we're not really, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't like. The, and just to be clear on the inbound piece, like we are 100% inbound, so we 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 only customers only come to us to buy the product. We don't uh, we don't like cold call people or anything like that. So I think um, on the SEO question, like we we try to not be dumb when we speak about our own product. I.e., if we're talking about how to acquire customers, we will link up our product, which helps you acquire customers. Um, however, we're not what these people who like do all the black hat shit. I really really hate that. Like. We had a recommendation recently. Uh, oh, you should go and post on discussions.apple.com and write a piece that like links back to your site. And it's just so puke wordy. I, I could never, I could never get excited about gamifying the Google algorithm and building a, a business on such a messy, fragile house of cards that just damages the web. Mm. I think like you know, I think doing those sort of things, it's like it's like taking weight loss pills instead of going to the gym. Like it's just not a good idea. Like, you know, I'd rather grow intercom on the quality of the product, the quality of the brand, the quality of the marketing, not like knowing about one little way that the Google SEO algorithm will over reward a punitive backlink or whatever. I just don't care. Like, no, that's fair enough. But do you guys have a strong focus on links and, and link building and stuff like that though, right? 
it depends on how you mean. Like we don't have we don't have anyone out there trying to create links back to our site on the web. The focus we really have is like if you know like there was like a long period of time where we would be talking about our product and genuinely forget to link it up. Um, and uh, so we, I like to think we've kind of stopped that behavior. But no, we don't like. I mean, our genuinely like we do have a lot of like organic traffic, which might otherwise be known as SEO. But like that has come from running a really popular blog. It hasn't come from like any sort of link farms or any strategies like that. Yeah, no, gotcha. And and what's been the premise besides producing great content over a long period of time? Like um, if somebody wants, you know, they're building a SaaS company and they want to, and we won't say the word content marketing, but, mm-hmm. you know, produce, you know, have a great blog that, you know, is quite iconic. You know, you guys are really well known around your customer support and stuff. Like I know that blog, I've read your content. What what else pieces of advice would you give people besides you know great content long game because yeah I'm really curious around that yeah and um like I can give you some sort of tactical stuff but I would say like you know eighty percent of it is actually you know as you said like it's you know good content uh, relating to the market you want to sell in and long game and uh, and long game isn't for everyone because you kind of need to you know it doesn't match to all businesses you need to obviously be around for the long game to actually for it to show up. But like, like, you know, to be just one degree more specific when we say great content, what we mean basically is what products do we sell? Well, we sell a, a product that appeals to customer support people, as you said, and we sell a product that appeals to marketing people or occasionally growth marketing or occasionally product people. And that's our engaged product. And so what we try to do is make sure that we frequently hit on content that is interesting and useful, like so not not keyword spammy bullshit like 11 top tips or whatever but just stuff that's like genuinely like well thought out well written well illustrated well diagrammed and practical and tactical and and applicable uh, for people who we think could actually one day want to buy intercom so you'll see posts like you know how to how to scale out a support team and that's because we sell to people who guess what need to scale out a support team you'll see a lot of posts about customer onboarding why because people you know marketers tend to worry about customer onboarding and, you know, the posts come very genuinely steeped in our own experience. We're not like hiring writers who don't know anything about the topic. We're sitting down with our marketing people, with our product people, and we're asking them, like, how do you think about this? And we're getting them to write pieces. And our content team is like, I think, three people today. And there are maybe 327 other people in Intercom. And we rely heavily on the other 327 for, for fleshing out the content. The one thing I think most startups get wrong, and especially most CEOs, is like, you know, someone will be listening to this and think, yeah, that's great, Des, but where do I get the time to blog? And I would say to you, like, that's, I know exactly that sentence. And I find it so uh, annoying because you never, if I was sitting here saying, and the other nice thing about Ruby on Rails is you can create a scalable framework. No one would say, yeah, that's nice, Des, where do I get time to code? You know, but it's just as fucking important. Like it genuinely is. And mm. people don't, people don't see it that way. They, uh, they, they really feel like they, you know, oh, it needs to be like, you know, like blogging is some sort of optional extra, but for some reason the lines of code or the design are really important. And it's just not the case. If you're genuinely serious about like, we are going to have a popular blog, guess what? You need to be writing. It needs to be people's full-time jobs and not just your content people, but it needs to be something that like you recognize and reward in all levels. Like I would say in any given year, our best pieces of content on the blog, and I mean best is into the tune of like half a million page views a post. They come from like our VP of product, our VP of engineering, our directors of design, uh, our CEO, you name it. Like they don't come from the content marketing team. And I think that's, again, that means, yes, we deliberately have to sacrifice time of, of otherwise very busy people in the company 
to to like curate and structure their thinking in a way that can be shared and be really useful to other companies. And it, it, it's a trade-off, but it's like it's a deliberate it's a deliberate choice by us to like to have a good blog. And if you want to copy that, that's what you have to copy. You don't you don't like hire a team of ten content marketers and say, you know, go here's your typewriters, get busy. You know, mm, that's really interesting. So, oh, geez, I, I'm I'm impressed because I thought that you guys. Um, would have quite a large content marketing team. So of those three people, um, is one of them just just working with other people in the team, um, just interviewing them, getting that content transcribed, then editing it out, then going back to them, what do you think of this? Does this make sense? Is this actionable? Does this help? Is this really good? Is this helpful? Is that how you guys are doing it? Because that's really impressive. Yeah, so we do a little bit of that. Uh, we do actually, we're lucky enough in that like a good chunk of the company like maybe 10% or so are like very talented, capable and motivated writers. So we actually have people who just really, really like, and it, it's genuinely like we, you know, we talk to people all the time here, like, you know, when, when they start in intercom, one of the things that they really dream to do is one day be published in the blog. And we're like, that's awesome. Like, that's what we want in terms of the activities of the team. It's, it's a mistake. You know, uh, um, John who heads up the content team, he would basically uh, contest with me here that I'm talking about them as if they just do the blog they actually do our podcast too and we publish a podcast every week and we also produce books uh, so we've, we produce i think we've done six books to date we have a another one coming soon and basically like what i think um you know to make all that work we very genuinely and honestly we reward and request the entire company write pieces so a lot of what the the content team do is they actually take inbound if you know what i mean they receive submissions from the rest of the company and they work on them they edit them they tweak them they adjust them they make sure they have beautiful illustrations and then they schedule them to go live and um, when they're not doing that they're make they're chasing down guests for a podcast or they're collating the best of the best and putting them into books that we're going to print and send out to people yeah gotcha interesting um Look, we have to work towards wrapping up. We've really honed in on the content piece, but uh, sure. let's talk. Um, do you, well, I, I was speaking. I caught up with the founder of BuzzSumo last week. Do you do you know that SAS? Is that Noah? No, no, it's 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 not. It's oh, it's I know a, it was AppSumo. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. BuzzSumo yeah. is like it's a it's a really really powerful SaaS that um they they're constantly analyzing like all of the content, like any, any blog post, they're constantly analyzing yeah. blog posts, everything, every, you know what I'm talking about? I, I think I know the product. Yeah. They yeah. also have, I believe a WordPress plugin, right? No, no, I don't think so. No? Okay. Anyways, they, they, they're like, um, we, we use them a lot at founder because, cause we, we can see trending topics. We can see topics that get the most shares. We can see, you know, like if, if, like we do a little bit of SEO stuff where, you know, we, we have a, we have a certain, you know, keywords that we're, obviously wanting to rank for and you know we have a look at who's at the top and where those links are coming from for those keywords and you know we do outreach and we do guest posts linking back to the certain blog posts anyways long story short these guys we use buzzsumo and they've analyzed you know tens hundreds you know billions of articles from from their data and when i was speaking to the founder he said to me that you know a lot of people say you know it is a quality game and i agree a hundred percent but he said at the end of the day, it is a fundamentally a volume game as well. It's all about quality content at scale. So I'm curious, how much content do you guys produce and, and do you have an interest to up that content, you know, uh, per, per, you know, per week, per month, per year, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So we, you know, our current target these days is one post a day. And that's, that's a challenge to keep up. But like where we've been hitting it reliably for, I guess, two and a half, three months 
Um, I mostly agree with the uh, with the sentiment that it's both a quality and quantity game. I think if you're going to drop either of those, you should drop quantity first because I actually think a, a lot of noise is still noise, whereas a small amount of great stuff is still a small amount of great stuff. But yeah, I I I, I fully agree with the sentiment. Like I. We shoot for one a day because we think that's about all we're capable of producing uh, while keeping the quality bar where it is. And we don't ever want to be one of these blogs that degrades into publishing kind of shitty link bait or like, or like 11 like intro type articles that like we kind of leave our, our user base behind. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, no, we're, we're the same. We, we want to produce stuff that goes deep uh, because that's, that's the way you get cut through because there is so much noise. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's. I think that the, the quantity game genuinely came from a time when Google's SEO algorithm wasn't that smart, when people used RSS feeds to check out their blogs uh, and and all these other things like uh, basically had changed. Whereas like today, like the majority of our traffic for our blog comes from Twitter because people share our stuff if it's good, but only if it's good. So putting out a bad piece just means nothing happens anymore. Like we don't, you know, for sure we publish a newsletter once a week, which directs like, you know, a significant number of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people towards content. But like that's, that doesn't, that's not how we grow our audience. That's just how we address our audience to grow our audience. We need new quality stuff shared by people to, with all their followers or with all the people who, who are influenced by their like thinking uh, thoughts on the matter. So, like, so yeah, I, I really, I fully believe in quality as a thing. We are at the same time considering uh, a second blog, which might be a more uh, high velocity blog, but it doesn't mean that the quality will drop. It just means maybe we'll, we won't stretch as far to do what, uh, we won't maybe go for it. Maybe we'll see less 800 word essays and maybe more like 100 word thoughts or something like that. We're considering that at the moment, but like, yeah, content has been, you know, what we've been doing has been working, but like we're keen to bring in another tactic or another strategy on top. Mm, yeah, and look, what we're talking about, this is all evergreen. So if someone listened to this, you know, two years from now, this stuff is not going to change. Yeah, I mean, I'm very influenced by uh, that quote by uh, Jeff Bezos, which was relayed to me by Jason Fried, which is just focus on the things that don't change. Yeah. Like in 10 years time, people are, aren't going to wish our content was worse. They're not going to wish that like that, you know, that our product was slower, that uh, that our product was harder to use. You know, like there's, there's a few fundamental core variables of, of human desire in content and in product and focusing on those will service a lot better than chasing trends yeah i agree um so look we have to work towards wrapping up des it's been an awesome conversation man um two two last questions the first one is i'm curious around intercom like we use intercom on the front end um you know people people come to our to our site not not our main site not the founder.com site but other products that we have courses etc other premium products and we've we see we've seen a significant increase in sales just because we just ask you know hey if you have got any questions please let us know and and people actually have questions and and we close um, and then we also use it on the back end around onboarding and you know, uh, you know get, getting feedback around certain areas of of all sorts of other products but what my question to you is is around that you know i was just amazed you know just just even just having it there on your site people want to talk to you you can automate stuff do you guys plan on doing ai type stuff where it's you know you can and i don't know if, if you've already worked on this I, i'm not sure but do you plan eventually that you know when someone comes to the site 
uh, a site and the intercoms there and you'll have a people will have a series of like the, the it'll be a bot you know and it'll have a series of questions and if they are answered if they're not answered and and really use uh intercom as a way to close sales when you you wouldn't even, it, it would seem like it's a real person so there's a there's a few like parts of that question that maybe i'll just unbundle the first one is like you know, are we thinking about AI and machine learning and bots? Absolutely, yes. And we've dipped our toes in in various bits and pieces. For example, with our Educate product, uh, if you ask a business a question and they're using our knowledge base, you will see suggested articles from from a bot as part of the conversation. And I like to think of that as like, rather than artificial intelligence, I consider like augmented intelligence. That is like a bot sits in the conversation silently, only speaking when it thinks it can help. And it's very clearly a bot. It's very clearly not a a, a human, if you like. Uh, and then to the, to the more general theme, like I believe that, you know, human to human connection is still very important. And I believe when, you know, if, if it's profitable for you to do so, you should talk to your customers. And I often like have to laugh when I see businesses spending like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the like, hoping against hope that maybe one of these customers will reply. And yet when the reply comes in, they're like, holy shit, it's expensive to talk to these customers. And I'm like, how is it, how is it affordable to send out that campaign, but not affordable to talk to the people who want to buy? So there's some sort of paradox there. All that said, like, I mean, so I, I, I genuinely, I don't believe like that the future is like forcing your customers down like bot style uh, or IVR style, uh, like, you know, phone trees to like to complete a purchase. I think, you know, if, 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 if it's profitable for you to talk to your customers, which it generally should be unless your customers are like, worth very, very little. Uh, I think having a human there to aid the conversation is useful. However, there are like a large chunk of programmatic tasks that actually can be completed, such as like searching a knowledge base, such as like upgrading an account or like, or like, you know, giving feedback on a feature or something like that, where like, I think bots can genuinely help. And the key variables where bots can help, I think is like where there's no opportunity to form a relationship and bear, bear in mind, like most most SaaS businesses or most recurring revenue businesses, they do want a relationship. But there are times when a relationship isn't the most obvious thing to do. Like, so uh, an example might be like, you know, if somebody just simply wants to like cancel, uh, uh, cancel a teammate off their account or they want help uh, getting a t-shirt to put, deliver to their house or something like that. I think it's easy in those cases to use a bot to inject structured automation on a workflow where it's generally considered not something that is valuable to either party to have a human involved in. I think that's where bots can help, and we definitely think about it from that perspective. We don't we don't have anything to announce in that in the short term, but like, but for sure, like you know, bots and messaging are, are very much going together hand in hand, and we're we're definitely following that trend. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's all it's all moving to in app. Um, yeah, and yeah, I have to ask one question. Two, sorry, two more questions. First one is: Do you think email will be around forever, or do you think it's going to move all to in app? And two. Where's the best place people can find more about Intercom and yourself? Sure. Email one's deep in that, like, I think today email has been relegated as being like, if you think of like the emails you actually get and consume today, it's basically people who are addressing you in a formal business context, but they don't know you well enough such that they wouldn't like iMessage you or, or Slack you or whatever, or, you know. Slack has definitely like relegated e email for work uh, significantly. Email's more like a point of record. Uh, in communications these days than it is the the means through which all conversations happen. I think then when you look at it from a marketing perspective, I think I think there's a generation of people 
uh, growing up today for whom email is simply an identity verification for their Snapchat account or their Facebook account or whatever, uh, where like you need an email address because they ask you for one, but like no one ever checks it. And I think in that regard, like the future of like email marketing, it's I don't, I, I'm not like I'm not down on it. I think there there is a good future for email marketing. I just think it might not be the the best way to kind of you know grow top of funnel for the next generation of businesses. I I think we're gonna see that like more and more people are spending their time in in, in other products, uh, in your product, elsewhere, basically. And I think in that regard, you know, email marketing will, will you know, it'll find a more of a niche use case than maybe it had five, ten years ago. And I think that's just driven by the rise of messaging and the rise of workplace messaging. Like core chunks of where email was the best thing to do have been falling by the wayside consistently. But that said, like, you know, I, I don't think it'll go away. I think we'll all have email accounts in 10 years. I just think their purpose will be relegated further and further and further. And then I guess on your more general question, um, how to follow up uh, with Intercom or myself, uh, the best place is intercom.com. And our blog is at blog.intercom.com. And that's the thing I guess we spoke a lot about. Uh, I'm Des Trainer on Twitter. And that's the way you can keep in touch with me. Awesome. Fantastic. We'll, uh, we'll wrap there, Des. But uh, thank you so much for your time, man. It was a great interview. Thank you very much, Nathan. The Founder Podcast has come to a close, but it's not time to sleep. It's time to hustle. Download the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine for free right now by visiting foundermag.com slash Branson. Again, that's an absolutely free download of the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine containing an exclusive interview with the man himself. It's only available at foundermag.com slash Branson. So download it now and we'll see you next time on the Founder Podcast.